Notice with me Matthew chapter 16, verse 18 and 19. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. This message that I'm going to share with you tonight, if you have not known these things before, I will tell you now it may be one of the most important messages you will ever hear in your entire life. And if you know these things, it may be time for you to be renewed in this knowledge, to be sharpened in these things. There may have been some things that you have slipped through your fingers and you need to be refreshed in it. And so it will be very helpful for all of you. In the Greek language, the word Peter means a stone, whereas the word rock in this verse means, it's a different Greek word, and it means a massive boulder, a foundation. The Amplified Bible says a huge rock like Gibraltar. So the church is not built on Peter, who's just a stone, but on Peter's confession. The confession that he made in verse 16 when he said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. The Passion Translation of verse 18 says, And this truth of who I am will be the bedrock foundation on which my church is built. So you need to know who Jesus is. You need a revelation of who Jesus is. Otherwise, the church cannot function as Christ intends. Amen. So Peter was instrumental in spreading the gospel and helping the early church to be established, but Jesus is the rock. In 1 Corinthians 3, verse 11, the Bible says this, For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So that means everything that we do, Everything that we propose to do, everything that is connected with the church begins with who Jesus is. Why are we here? Because Jesus is Lord. Why are we singing? Because Jesus is worthy to be praised. Why do we, why do we study his word? Because he is the word. Everything is connected to who he is. So the more you know him, the more what we do makes sense to you. So we're not following a tradition or just a, 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 a habit, but we're following the Lord. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. So when we have fresh revelation of who he is, then what we do takes on new meaning and new purpose. And in these two verses, Jesus mentions heaven, earth, and hell. Heaven, earth, and hell. And these three are the only realms of existence. Every human spirit, man is a spirit being, every human, human spirit resides in one of these three places. Heaven, earth, and hell. Well, is there like a, an alternate universe? It's the spirit realm. It's either heaven or hell. There, the, other than that, no, there is nothing beyond that. And every human being is to some extent influenced by one or more of these three. Every human being, to some extent, is influenced, that means more or less, 
by one or even more of these three. So when you look at people around you in this world, they're being influenced by heaven or hell or just the world. Praise the Lord. Heaven, of course, is the domain of God. It is the seat of his kingdom. So you know if you went to England, you went to London, if you went to Buckingham Palace, of course it's changing now. You know, if they have the, 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 the royal flag waving, it used to mean the queen is present. She's there. This is the seat of royal power. I'm not sure if King Charles will use Buckingham Palace, but that's the idea. Then, of course, hell, the Greek word is Hades. Hell is the abode of the spiritually dead. It's a place of torment but it also represents Satan's kingdom, a mirror kingdom, a a, a contrary kingdom, copied after God's kingdom, but opposite to God's kingdom. And then, of course, in the middle is earth. And really, we could include all of creation, but the only place where human spirits are dwelling is in the earth. Earth is the place where these two opposing forces heaven and hell clash. Earth is the battlefield. There's no war in heaven, and there's no war in hell either. The contest is in the earth. In the earth, there is a constant struggle between the powers of darkness and light. But earth is only a temporary residence You're just passing through, as is every other human being. And earth is a probationary place, which means really it's like a place of testing that prepares you for some other place. From earth, every human spirit will go forth to either heaven or hell. So that means when somebody dies, their spirit does not wander in the jungle like a tiger. That's nonsense. It's heaven or hell. Right? There's no disembodied spirits living in haunted houses. There may be demon spirits, but there's no human spirits, you know, living in empty houses. That's that's not true, you see. So during his brief time in the earth, a man's eternal destiny is determined. Brief time. Now, God's will reigns uncontested in heaven. His will is done in heaven. In Psalm 119, verse 89, the Bible says, Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Or other translations say, in heaven. In heaven, God's word is affixed. His desires are carried out. God's desires are not being carried out in hell. For example, in Psalm 6, verse 5, it says, In Sheol, who will give you praise? And the answer to that is nobody. Sheol is Hebrew, but basically it's the equivalent to Hades. It means hell. So in hell, nobody's praising God this evening. Hmm? And notice when Jesus prayed, he didn't say, Lord, your will be done in hell as it is in heaven. No, he said, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There's no need to pray that God's will would be done in hell because that's not going to happen. But earth is where kingdoms vie for souls. 
The book of Joel 3.14 says, multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. So what are these two kingdoms colliding over? What are they contesting for? What are they, what's the prize? Remember in the book of Job, we see the curtain pulled back in the book of Job. And here we see the scripture tells us plainly that Satan is making his case that Job only serves God. He only fears God because he's blessed. He has possessions. He has good health. Take that away from him, the devil says, and he'll curse God to his face. Those things were taken away. Satan was the one who brought all that tragedy and mayhem to Job's life, but Job held his integrity. He did not he did not curse God and die like his wife said or, you know, or like even his friends suggested. And so the devil you know, was not, doesn't care about Job's donkeys. The, the devil doesn't care about Job's camels. He's after his soul. You know, hmm? see? Now, if God Almighty created the world, wouldn't his will automatically be fulfilled in the earth? I mean, God created the earth. He created everything that's in the earth. So wouldn't his will automatically be done in the earth? No, no, no. The Bible tells me in Psalm 115, verse 16, the heavens are the Lord's heavens, but the earth he has given to the children of man. From the very beginning, God gave man the right to rule in the earth. He gave him dominion. And he created man, human beings, with a free will, the power to choose. That's clearly implied from the very book of Genesis, from the very beginning. So God does not take unfair advantage of any person, though he's almighty and there's nothing too difficult for the Lord, he does not force anyone to obey him. Does he force you to come to church on a Wednesday night? No, no, no. Does he force you to tithe? No, no, no. Now the Lord may persuade, he may influence, that's true, but he will never override your will. If a man wants to sin, God will not stop him. If a man wants to go to hell, God will not prevent him from going. Even though that's not his will for you, God honors your right to choose. That's really amazing. You have the freedom to choose. You have the freedom to make choices, but you are not free from the consequences of those choices. So choose carefully. Your whole life is the sum total of the choices you have made. Amen. Praise the Lord. Now, if God's will was automatically being done in the earth, there would be no need for anybody to pray. Why bother praying? It would just happen. See? Hmm? In fact, if what God wanted was always done in the earth, the world would be a paradise because God only wants the best for us. 
And last time I checked, it's far from a paradise. There's a lot of nice things, a lot of nice places, but there's also a lot of bad things, a lot of bad people, bad things happening. So obviously nobody, no intelligent person, no biblically intelligent person could argue that God's will is always being done in the earth. That's not true at all. Amen. Praise the Lord. Now, heaven, earth, hell. Then again, in these two verses, Jesus mentions two important words, keys and gates. Heaven, earth, hell, keys and gates. I will give to you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And he said, the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. Both words, keys and gates, symbolize authority and power. Authority and power. In Isaiah chapter 22, verse 22, we read this. And I will place on his shoulder the key of the house of David. I will place on his shoulder the key of the house of David. This is a prediction, a prophecy of the coming Messiah. And keys symbolize authority. See? Now, if you have a key... You have access to a place where others cannot go. You know, I have the key to my house. You don't have that key, right? So keys symbolize authority. Now, the keys we have today, you know, fit conveniently in our hand or perhaps in our pocket. But in ancient times, you know, we're talking about thousands of years ago, um, many times keys were quite long. Some were as long as maybe your forearm. That's why they were laid on a person's shoulder. They're they're bigger. And, And maybe you could argue the bigger the key, the bigger the authority. So what this verse is saying is that the Christ will reign as a king in the lineage and the dynasty of David. That's what that means. Keys symbolize authority. But then again, Jesus said that the gates of hell would not prevail against the church, and gates represent power. Now, again, it's so helpful to kind of read the Bible with a historical context. Jesus said these things in the earth to a particular people at a particular time, and they had a particular culture. And one thing, one mistake people make is to try to interpret things in the light of their own times and their own culture, see? But it doesn't exactly mean the same thing to us as it meant to those people. So I don't want to just know what Jesus said. I want to know what he meant. And to do that, I must have some understanding of what it meant to those people in the first century when he made that comment. So I have to do a little study. That's why we're here tonight. So if you just read the Old Testament, it's not hard to figure this out. In ancient times, many cities were walled. It's very common. In ancient times, I'm talking about, you know, in the old, back to the Old Testament, you know, many cities were walled. For example, we know Jericho was a walled city. Jericho, you know, the Joshua and the Israelites, they marched around Jericho and then the walls came down. Jerusalem was a walled city. While living in Persia, Nehemiah heard, he was told that the walls of Jerusalem have been destroyed and he was greatly distressed when he heard that. See, I, you know, I read that and I think, oh, that's too bad. But he was deeply troubled. He wept because a city without walls is defenseless. 
See, it's not, it's not really the wall he's concerned about. It means whoever is still remaining living there, they're just, they're defenseless. You know, any, any marauding band of, of vandals can come and just pillage and, and, and they, they have no recourse because the walls are their defenses, you see. And a city that is walled has to have a gate, just like our church has a gate around its compound. So the gate of the city was very important. The city gate was also like a market square. It's where a lot of business transactions were conducted in the gate of the city. Lot was sitting near the gate when the angels entered Sodom. See? Why, why was he? I mean, you're not just sitting near the gate of the church, but this is where business activity transactions took place. At the gate of the city is where Abraham met the Hittites to negotiate purchasing a parcel of land to bury Sarah in. He went to the gate of the city. Boaz met with the elders at the city gates to discuss redeeming Ruth. Because he didn't go to the courthouse. They didn't have courthouses. He went to the gate of the city. And what he meant was there was a relative there that can buy back the property that her former husband had lost, you see. Restore it to the family name. So the gate of the city is very important. And in Genesis 22, verse 17, it's interesting that God blessed Abraham. And he said, I'll surely bless you. I will certainly multiply you. And then he said this, and your offspring or your seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. Who wants to possess the gate? Maybe I want to possess the the television or the car. Why do I want to possess the gate? Because whoever controls the gate controls the city. So what that means is you will rule over your enemies. See? Now, in modern times or more modern times, you know, if an invading army takes the capital, the capital city or the capital building of a country and, and hoists a flag, that symbolizes we have conquered you. We have defeated you. So, you know, for example, um, in the closing days of World War II, the Russian army, the Red Army, you know, they, in the Battle of Berlin, they, 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 they street by street, they fought, and eventually they, they took the German Reichstag, which was their parliament building, and the Russians hoisted a Soviet flag on top of the German parliament building, why? why? Why bother climbing up on the roof and putting a flag up there? You might get shot by a sniper. No, it symbolizes we own this. We control this. We conquered this. But in Abraham's day, and, and even in the first century AD, people didn't do that. What did they do? They possessed the gate of their enemies. They possessed the gate. For example... In Jeremiah chapter 39, verse 3, the Bible says, Then all the officials of the king of Babylon came and sat in the middle gate. That's weird, isn't it? They surrounded, they besieged Jerusalem. Nobody could get out. Nobody could get in. And then when the walls are breached, 
You know, they, they, they break into the, they, 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 they break in to the walls. There's a crack in the wall and there's no food to eat. People are starving to death. The, the king's officials, his, his chief of, of defense and all that kind of thing, they came and Jeremiah says, they sat in the middle area, in the, in the central gate. They sat down right there. Why? If I was having a war, you know, against a city, I wouldn't just take a chair and sit down in the gate. Well, why, you know, why, would, why do that? That was, that was hoisting the flag. That was saying, we win, you lose. I'm in control. Now I do, you do whatever I say. Because you can't get out and nobody can get in because I control the gate. That's the idea. So you will possess the gates of your enemies. It means you'll overcome them. You'll defeat them. You'll conquer them. So the church that Jesus envisioned that day as he spoke to his disciples is a victorious church. It is a church that tri- is triumphant over the spiritual forces of darkness because the gates of hell shall not prevail. See, many Christians have the, the idea in their mind, the concept that the church has hunkered down you know, trying to hold out against the devil's assaults. But that's not the picture that Jesus painted. The imagery he's, he's bringing is that we're not being besieged. The devil is being besieged. We are the ones who are on the offense. We are attacking the gates of hell. When was the last time you were attacked by a gate? Never. You know, and the gates of hell will not prevail against us. That we'll stand, sit in the gates and say, we win, you lose. We're in control here. Hallelujah. That's a victorious church. Amen. So, if that's true, why is the church so often defeated by the adversary? Instead of trampling on our enemies, for many Christians, the devil's walking on top of them. Jesus said, in my name, they'll cast out demons. But a lot of cases, the demons are casting out the Christian. Why is that? This phrase is critical. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. That phrase is very important. I will give you, I'll build my church, I will, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. He did not say the keys to heaven. Like you can't get into heaven unless you have this key. He didn't say the keys to heaven. He said the keys of the kingdom of heaven. See, the Chokidar in this church, who is a fine fellow, he has the keys to the church, but he does not have authority over this church. So what Jesus is saying is, I will give you heaven's authority in the earth. Keys represent authority. Hallelujah. And then he said this, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. What does that mean? Very simply, it means you will exercise heaven's authority in the earth. To put it very simply, you will exercise, you will use heaven's authority in the earth. Hallelujah. Now, little side thought. Many Christians have assumed that this authority only resided with Peter because Jesus was talking to Peter. I tell you that you are Peter and I will give to you 
you know. And it is true that the word you in this verse uh, is singular. So he's talking to one person. However, that's not the end of the story because just a little bit later in Matthew chapter 18, that was Matthew 16, but just turn the page. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 18, we read these words. Truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So this is the same identical expression, same words. However, in this verse, that's Matthew 18, verse 18, the word you and the verbs that are used here are in the plural. They're not singular. So he said the exact same thing to the rest of his disciples. So this is not just limited to one individual like Peter or just the apostles. This is for the church. This is for all of us. Now, keys stand for authority. Okay? So, you know, you may have keys to your vehicle or house keys or something like that in your pocket. So what do you do with a key? Only two things, only two useful things. You lock and you unlock. That's all. Lock, unlock. Or let's say it this way, bind, loose. I'll give you heaven's keys, and there are certain doors you'll lock. There are other doors you'll unlock. You couldn't, you couldn't access these places before, but now you have heaven's authority. There are certain things you couldn't shut down, but now you can because I've given you the key. Hallelujah. Now, the word bind in the Greek language, just like English, basically means to tie up. For example, in Matthew 12, 29... Jesus asked this question, or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then he may plunder his house. And this is the same word translated bind in Matthew 16, 19. And then to loose would then be to unbind, to deliver, to free someone. And we see in Luke chapter 13, verse 16, Jesus argued in favor of healing a woman, saying, Luke 13, 16, ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound, so there's the word bind, bound for 18 years, be loosed? from this bond on the Sabbath day. And again, the word loosed is the exact same word that's used in Matthew 16, 19. So binding and loosening has to do with tying certain things up and untying certain things. So we're talking about authority, authority. Now, hold that thought in your mind for just a moment. Authority has to do with legality. Authority has to do with what is legal, what is legal. Authority is not so much power as it is the right to command power. Let me say that again. Authority is not the same thing as power. Authority is the right to command power. So uh, a prime minister of a country or maybe a president or someone like that doesn't have the 
power in himself, the inherent power to destroy another nation or, 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 or a city or something like that. But he may have the authority to command his army, his air force, whatever, to destroy another country. See, that's the difference between authority and power. Many Christians think that the, the greatest need would be to, to have power. No, the, heaven has all the power that's needed. But that doesn't help you unless you know authority. Authority is the right to use that power, to issue the order, to give the command. Hallelujah. So Jesus did not say, I have given to you the weapons of heaven. Not in this verse. I've given to you the bombs of heaven. He said, I've given to you the authority of heaven, which is better, which is better. Hallelujah. Amen. I mean, what would be better? What would be better? This is a hypothetical situation. Don't, don't try to misinterpret this. What would be better? You have like a gun or, you know, you have a bomb or you have command over an entire army who has lots of guns and bombs, more than you could ever use yourself. Authority is more important than power. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. A lot of times when we talk about power, we think about feeling something, feeling powerful. But you don't necessarily have to feel authority. I don't really feel anything. But that doesn't mean you don't have it. Amen. Now, let me, let me go a little further. Authority is connected to legality. So authority is concerned with what is lawful. What is lawful. So... If a contract, for example, you, you sign a contract in a business deal or something like that, if a contract is valid, if it's enforceable, if it's irrevocable, you can't change it, we say it's binding. It's binding. We use that terminology. In Romans 7, 2, Paul reminds us that a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. And that word bound is, again, the same word used in Matthew 6, 19. She's bound. Does that mean she's tied up like she's a hostage? Yes. No, what it really means is that she's, she, she's obligated. She's, she's, she, she is, she, she's in a contractual agreement. She, it, it's in force. She can't ignore that, you see, without you know, consequences, you see? So then, she, then Paul says if the husband dies, she's, loo- she's loosed from that law. That's why one Christian wife was thinking about her troubled marriage, and she said, divorce? No. Murder? Yes. But that's, that's not right either. I'm just joking. Please just understand I'm just joking. Some of you look very serious. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> Hallelujah. So if something is binding, you know, it's in force. If something is loosed, then you're no longer under that obligation. So in the first century A.D., when Jesus spoke these words to his disciples, he's speaking to Orthodox Jews. It's helpful to know that, to understand that, to know how they thought. And at that time, Jewish rabbis used the word binding and loosening to mean that it is forbidden or it is allowable. It's permissible or it is or it is. It is not, not allowed. It is forbidden. For example, many translations say it that way. Let me read to you a couple of translations. The New Living Translation says this. This is Matthew 16, 19. Whatever you forbid, 
on earth will be forbidden in heaven. And whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. I think we can make a slight little change in that to maybe bring out the meaning more clearly. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden by heaven. Then again, the contemporary English version. This is so wonderful. I love this. Listen to this. And, you know, meditate on this. Jesus said, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. God in heaven will allow whatever you allow on earth. But he will not allow anything you don't allow. That is 180 degrees different from the way the vast majority of Christians think. The way most Christians talk, the way they pray, they're just like a serf. They're just a, they're just a, a, a robot. And God, they're just a puppet on a string, a marionette. And God's just controlling them. And you know, they're just you know, floating through the stream of life and have no say-so in anything. But this scripture verse contradicts that completely. Whatever you don't allow, God won't allow it either. Whatever you, whatever you permit, God will permit it. Hallelujah. So Jesus has given us heaven's authority to exercise in the earth. So we have the ability to call on heaven's resources to enact God's will and to oppose anything, to overcome anything that opposes his will. Hallelujah. But with authority comes responsibility. A lot of times when people, we see this all the time, they want authority. Put me in charge. Let me oversee this. They want authority but no responsibility. They want a uniform or they want a badge or they want a nameplate or they want some kind of title or status, but they don't actually want to work. No, no, no. With a th- when you hear the word authority from now on, even spiritual, biblical authority, think responsibility. Hallelujah. Amen. So if things are not right in our lives, it's because we're not using our authority. Because you have that responsibility. Amen? So the the police constable at an intersection has the authority to stop traffic. He lifts his hands, the car stops. He doesn't have the power to stop traffic. He doesn't jump out in the middle of the street and brace himself in front of an oncoming Tata and hope that he's strong enough to stop it, he couldn't stop a bicycle. He has the authority, you see. He simply issues the order, and those drivers recognize that authority. What if they disregard that authority? Well, then those drivers, in a normal situation, would experience power. Because he has lots of friends that wear the same uniform and, you know, they, they know where you live. I don't know. But they would experience power. Now, the, the constable at the, at, the, at the police point, he has been delegated that authority. So he doesn't call the governor of the state of Nagaland on the phone and say, hey, the cars need to stop. Can you tell them to stop? No, no, he doesn't do that. That responsibility has been given to that constable. Don't, don't call me. I gave you that job. So it's like when Moses brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, after a series of miracles, they came to the edge of the Red Sea, and suddenly they see the Egyptian army coming behind them, and they're hemmed in. They're, they're, they're in a, the, a no, no way to get out. They're trapped. 
And the people of Israel began to cry, oh, we're, oh, we're going to die, we're going to die. You know, and they, why did we ever leave? Ah. And Moses prayed. And it's interesting, if you go back to the book of Exodus, you know, I think it's around chapter 13 or so. God said to Moses, why do you cry unto me? Now take the rod of God in your hand and part this Red Sea. In other words, he's saying, why are you calling me? You have the authority, use it. Remember, Jesus was asleep on the back of a a boat and a storm came. And it's like, here we go. It's like the same story, only miniature form. Oh, we're gonna die, we're gonna die. Same thing, you know, just like your your forefathers. So they woke Jesus up and they said, don't you care? You don't care. See, they're, they're blamed. When, when things go wrong, people want to blame God. Don't you care? If you cared, we wouldn't be in this trouble. And Jesus got up and he rebuked the wind and the waves. It was a great calm. Oh, praise the Lord. And then when he was through rebuking the wind, he turned and rebuked the disciples. <laughs> and there was a great calm there too. <laughs> and he said, how is it that you don't have any faith? What was he saying? Same thing God said to Moses. Why are you waking me up? You have the authority. Use it. You don't need, you don't need to bother me. You can handle this yourself. Come on, this is, this is 180 degrees different than the way, that kind of like weak and beggarly message that so many Christians just, 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 just grovel in. <laughs> you know, I'm just a worm, I'm just a dog. So, so the devil says, that's right, brother, you're a worm, you're a dog, let me walk on top of you and take everything you have and you can howl at the moon tonight. <laughs> Amen, hallelujah. When I get to heaven, I'm gonna ask the Lord why he allowed this to happen. And when you get to heaven, he's going to ask you the same question. Because the key is in your hand. Whatever you allow, heaven will allow. Whatever you forbid, heaven will forbid. Why did you allow that to happen? I don't know. Because maybe ignorance. Maybe, Maybe laziness sometimes. Hallelujah. So it's time to mention Brother Hagen. <laughs> so I thought this is an amazing testimony. Brother Hagen pastored for several years, I think about 12 years, different churches. This is like in the 1930s and through the, into the 1950s. And so there was a man in his church that was injured, severely injured, working on an oil rig, an oil well. This is in the state of Texas in America. In fact, the man was, uh, he broke so many bones and he was unconscious and there's a lot of internal damage and they, they took him to the hospital where the doctors offered almost no hope that he would live. So Brother Hagen and this man's wife, they agreed together in prayer for his recovery, for his, that he would be healed, that he would, that he would, he would live and not die. And then the, the wife went home, I believe, that night, and Brother Hagen was alone with the, the man in the hospital. And so he got up, Brother Hagen said he got up from the hospital room where the man was unconscious, and he began to walk the halls outside the room to pray. And he said he found himself like arguing his case like a lawyer 
you know, presenting his case before the Lord. And he said something to this effect, Lord, I, I need this man in my church. He oversees our children's ministry, and he's, he's important to this church. And if he's important to me then in this church, then he's important to you. Furthermore, you've promised us long life, but he's not even like in his 30s or 40s. He's too young to die. He has a wife and children to support. Besides that, this is not a good testimony for him to, to go like this, this way. And so, so forth and so on, you know, he, he, he prayed like that. In fact, he prayed three different occasions that night. And I think when the morning came, the man was awake. And when they examined him, they said, he, he's through the crisis. He'll live now. And, and he, I don't know how long he was in the hospital, but he recovered and, and within like a few months or something, he was actually back on the job, which is really amazing. And so this man came to the church one Sunday to testify. And he says, all I remember is falling. I don't remember anything else. He was like on the top of a, a oil w- w- rig. And he said, Derek, he fell. He says, that's all I remember. But he said, the next thing I knew, I was in heaven. That's what he said. Evidently, like on that hospital bed that that night, he must have died. I was in heaven. I saw Jesus, he said. I saw the angels of heaven. I saw saw the glory of God, and, and, and I was rejoicing, and I was about ready to run up to Jesus and tell him how much I loved him and everything like that. And Jesus pointed his finger at me and said, you have to go back to the earth. And he said, I told the Lord, I don't want to go back. I want to be here. And he said this, Jesus said to him, this is the man's testimony, you have to go back. Brother Hagen won't let you stay here. (laughs) What? And then the man said this in heaven, Jesus like pulled his hand and it was like an invisible curtain came back. And there, like, like you watch a video, there in heaven, the man said, I saw Brother Hagen walking up and down that hallway saying, Lord, I need him. And he's too young to die. And this is not that that type of thing. He said, see, he won't let you stay here. You have to go back. The man said, next thing I knew, I woke up on the hospital bed. And Brother Hagin heard that testimony. And he thought to himself, it began to spark something in him. We have authority that we don't realize we have. We have authority that we don't realize we have. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Amen. Glory to God. Praise the Lord. Now, Jesus cast out demons, and the Pharisees accused him of doing so by Beelzebul, by demonic power. And Jesus argued the devil's not working against himself. A house divided against itself won't stand. And then he said this in Matthew 12, 28, Matthew 12, 28, but if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons then the kingdom of God has come upon you. In other words, if I'm doing this, if demons are being ejected from those who are bound by the Holy Spirit, then you have seen a demonstration of God's kingdom. That's what he said. See, you're accusing me of of doing this by evil powers, but if I'm doing this by the Spirit of God, then you've seen a demonstration of, of God's kingdom in the earth, right? Now, if we stop reading there, we'll just say, praise God. Well, Jesus was anointed with the Holy Spirit and he worked signs and wonders. But then he added in verse 29, still in Matthew chapter 12, verse 29, I read it earlier. 
Or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? And he, we already read, he said, and whatever you bind will be bound. Whatever you loose will be loosed, which means you give the command and the spirit of God will drive the devil out. You don't have to feel anointed. You don't have to come, somehow sense some kind of power. That, that could be, but it doesn't have to be. How does the policeman feel when he tells the traffic to stop? Does he feel you know, bubbly? Does he feel tingly? He may not feel anything. It doesn't matter how you feel. I think if we're not careful, we put our faith in some kind of even a spiritual feeling rather than the truth of God's word. You can stop the devil in cold blood. You don't have to sing seven songs and three dances. You don't have to get hot and sweaty. You can just say, stop. I bind you, devil. Bind the strong man. Bind the enemy. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. Now I'm almost done here. So think of the keys that you may have even now to your car or your scooter motorbike. So... If I have the key in my hand and I walk out to the parking lot, I don't pray, Lord, open my door. Please, Lord, oh, I, want, I want to get in the car. Please open the door. Or if, in, if I'm in my car and I have the key, I don't roll down the window and say to my friends or church members, would you pray that God would start my car? I mean, ordinarily, that wouldn't be necessary. I just simply use the key. And, and in fact, really having the key in my hand and ignoring that and asking God to open the door and asking God to start my car is really foolish on my part. It's really a waste of time and effort. Amen? You have the key. And I'm convinced that many Christians live far below their rights and privileges because they don't know they have that authority or they know it, but they don't use it. We... I'll just tell you this. My wife and I flew to Nepal a week ago, uh, more than that, two weeks ago. And uh, uh, we flew to Calcutta, spent the night, the next morning, went to the airport to take the flight to Kathmandu, you know, and I can't go into all the details, but as we, as we, as we got our boarding pass, mm, they said to me, sorry, you can't, you can't fly. And they turned the light out, you know, and, then, and, they, and they closed the airport just like that. They said, they said you can't fly. And uh, I was like, what? No, no, no. The lady was very adamant. No, no, no. She even, like, called the men, pull my suitcases out. You know, that's it. You can't go anywhere. Jeppy can go, but not you. you, you that's it. You can't go. And, uh, I mean, for a moment, I was, you know, my breath, took my breath away, and I was like, oh, man. I thought, like, you know, you know, we have all these hotel, other flights, hotel reservations. That's just all going to be canceled now. And then what are we going to do? Go back to our hotel in Calcutta. And what are we going to do? Hang around here? Just go back to Dimapur? And kind of felt a little bit, you know, kind of you know, like angry, sad, feeling like, well, just go back to Dimapur, you know, like that. And, and, and I started to think, oh, why does this happen? But that morning in the hotel room, I had read this verse. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And it just sort of rose up inside me. Don't whine and complain. Don't beg God to do something. Bind it. 
use your authority. This is the enemy trying to stop you. You know that. Now, I'm not saying that everybody that says something you don't like is the devil. But, but you know, in the, I knew this was the enemy trying to stop us from going. We're going there to preach, you know. And so walking around the little area of the airport, I just, of course, Jeffy prayed too. But, but I, just, I just said, I bind this situation in the name of Jesus. That, that evil spirit that's trying to stop us, I bind it right now. And, uh, and I just, then I just thank God for it. Once you use your authority, that's it. Know that it's done. And I walked around just kind of quietly praising God. I didn't put on a big show for people. You know, I'm, I'm, that's not my point. And um, within a short time, the two airport managers came walking up to us, slow motion, like they were just taking a Sunday stroll in the park. But they came up to us anyways, and the matter was resolved, and we were on the flight and, and ready to go. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Again, I'm convinced that we live below our rights and privileges because we don't know the key is in our hand or we don't use it. Amen. Now, wouldn't it be silly, you know, for me to ask Brother LaVon, Brother LaVon, can you use your key to open my car? No, his key opens his car. My key opens my car. So you need to use the authority God has given you for your life. Amen. Use it in your situation. You don't have a, there are boundaries to your authority. You don't, I don't have authority in my neighbor's house. Even though I speak in tongues and know who I am in Christ, I can't walk in there and rearrange the furniture. That's not my house. I don't have a right to do that. But I have authority in my house. I cannot always kick the devil out of someone else's house, but I can kick him out of my house. I can't always bind the strong man in your life, but I can bind him in my life. So you have to use your authority. You, you, can't all, you can ask people to pray for you, but at some point you have to wake up and be serious about what Jesus said and act on the word of God. There's a lot of wasted energy. I wish instead of having a multitude of prayer centers, we had authority centers. Because there's a lot of wasted time in prayer, just moaning and groaning and basically just starving yourself, you know, hoping that God will do something for you. Read the Bible, believe it, act on it, it'll work for you. Amen. Amen. I believe in prayer, don't misunderstand me. But don't pray in the dark, pray in the light. You know what I mean? With the knowledge of the word. Does the police constable have authority to steal the cars at a, police, at a traffic intersection? I'm a policeman, I'm going to take your car. Or can the police just come to my house and say, uh, we're going to take your vehicle. We, we want your vehicle. Why? I like the color. No, no, no. The police, of course they might, but they're not supposed to. The police have authority only to do what is lawfully permitted. He doesn't have authority to break the law. He has authority to enforce the law. We don't have authority to sin. We don't even have authority just to do whatever our flesh desires. We have authority to do what God desires for our lives. Some people are just binding everything that comes their way. Someone they don't like, I bind you. And the other person says, I bind you back. And we're just binding everybody. Actually, I was thinking about it today in the scriptures. Jesus bound the devil and he loosed people. So I think it's, it's fair to say that you and I should only be binding the enemy and loosing our fellow brothers and sisters. But many Christians are binding Christians and loosing the devil. They got it backwards. 
Hallelujah. Say it with me. The key is in my hand. Stand up with me one more time. Stand up and say it again. The key is in my hand. I have authority over the devil, over demons, over, over the forces of darkness that stand in opposition to the will of God. And whatever I forbid, heaven will forbid. And whatever I permit, heaven will permit according to his will, according to his word. So I use my authority. Now that, now stop there for a second. There are some doors that you need to shut tonight, like the door of fear. See, and then there can be other doors that you need to shut. You have to bind that. Fear can get on you. It can just creep up on you. Anxiety can just kind of make headway in your life and suddenly you're just overcome. You need to just, sometimes you just need to say, I bind that in the name of Jesus. That spirit of fear. That, 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 that anxiety, that stress, I just bind. Sometimes you need to bind depression. I think there are, we all face disappointments, but there's something beyond that where there's something really dark that just sort of comes up on you and you need to bind that. You need to take authority over that. You don't need a, a thousand pastors to pray for you. You need to just use the authority you have and say, I resist the devil in Jesus' name and I bind this depression. I'm not having it. Come on. Come on, don't just sit there, stand there and look at me like a, like, like, like a, you know, like a bunch of Baptist deacons. Believe the word of God. Amen. Hallelujah. There's some doors that you need to shut in your life. Hallelujah. Give the, give the enemy no place. Hallelujah. The key is in your hand. How many of you lock your vehicle when you go shopping? I don't know if you do or not, but since this is Dimapur, I might suggest you start doing that. <laughs> How many of you lock the door to your flat or your home at night? I don't know where you live. might not be such a big deal, but this is Dimapur. And what happens if you leave your door open all night long? Well, then who knows who's going to come in, right? First of all, you'll have a room full of mosquitoes. That's the start. That would be the least of your worries. You might wake up and you don't have any furniture. I mean, anything could happen, right? So, you know, you, got, you, you, you can't just leave the door open and pray, oh, God, don't let anybody come in my door tonight. Well, no, that's being irresponsible. That's not grace. That's laziness. You have, to, you have to get up and lock the door yourself. So spiritually speaking, you lock that door. There's some doors you need to lock. I bind the devil. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You use your authority. Let's praise God in this house right now. Lift up your hands toward heaven and thank him for the authority that we have as believers. Depression, I bind you in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Fear, that spirit of fear, I bind you in the name. I feel like some people, listen to me. I feel like some people, honestly, they have what comes on them, a spirit of poverty. Honestly. It's not, it's... There's bad thinking involved, but there's like something that gets on you and suddenly you just feel super cheap and you can, you know, you're never going to have anything and you need to just bind that spirit of poverty. I think, we, I think some things are transferred to us from people we know. 
They, they got that poverty spirit on them and it can get on you. I bind that in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. I'm not a failure. I'm not a born loser. I'm a born again winner. Hallelujah. I'm more than a conqueror. I always gain a surpassing victory through him who died for me. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. Bind that sickness in your body. Bind it in the name of Jesus. Come on. Some people just, it's, it's just so easy to just say, pray for me, pray for me. Listen, posting on social media, pray for me, will be about as effective as walking through the train station telling passerbys, pray for me. You know the word of God. Use your authority. Like God said to Moses, why are you crying unto me? Take the rod of God in your hand and move forward and part that sea. Come on. I have authority. Say it with me. I have authority in the name of Jesus over the devil and all his works. And I use my authority by faith. Now go ahead and give God praise right now. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord forever. Listen. Either the enemy will be bound and you will be loosed or he'll be loosed and you'll be bound. One of the two. There's no middle ground. So if you don't bind him, trust me, he will definitely bind you. So you can't be lazy. You can't just let things go. Well, yeah, I know that's something in there. Sometimes, you know, our children are sick. And we just said, well, yeah, let's go buy some aspirin. Well, I believe in natural things, but why would a person who knows his authority, who's heard this for 20 years, not use his authority? Because they're lazy. Because they're slipping. Because they're, letting, they're slipping. They're letting things slip through their fingers. They're falling behind. You got to, you got to, this is, a, look, look for opportunities to use your God-given authority for his glory. Hallelujah. So it's by the, so you know why? He said, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. You need to see a demonstration of God's kingdom. Other people need to see a demonstration of God's kingdom in the earth. I'm tired of the church being pushed around by the devil. I'm just tired of it. It's time for the church to rise triumphant and victorious. Push the devil around. Hallelujah. Like somebody said, it should be that when we wake up in the morning, and plant our feet on the floor, the demons tremble and say, oh, no, he's awake now. Amen? Amen. Come on, let's praise God one more time. Everybody, let's just praise the Lord. Come on, praise him like you mean it. Come on, praise him like you really mean it today. Hallelujah! Glory to God! We have authority. Every sickness, every sickness right now in this room, we bind that. We bind that in the name of Jesus. We resist the sickness. We resist those symptoms in the name of Jesus. That woman that was bowed over, we read in, I think, what is it, Luke 18? I don't know. Did she have arthritis? Did she have some kind of a hernia? Did she have? But Jesus was not trying to practice medicine. He just said, Satan has bound her, and she should be loosed. You should be loosed, whatever it is. I believe in medicine, don't misunderstand me, and thank God for that. If it wasn't for that, half the Christians would already be dead. But you know what? I know another, another way. You know, somebody said this, there's many paths in medicine, allopath, 
homeopath, but all the paths go the same way, the grave. But here's another way. Hallelujah. Jehovah Rapha, the Lord your physician. You're just, you're just lazy. You're just lazy. You're not using the authority. You're not walking in the light you have. And you better be more serious. Because if you give the devil an inch, he'll take a mile. If you leave the door open a little bit, he'll kick it in. You better be, he, the, the, the enemy's more serious than you are right now. You better be a little bit more, I'm talking to somebody right now. You better be a little bit more serious. In other words, if you don't use your authority, he's going to push you into a corner. You're going to be in a real tight jam. The first time the enemy pops up, knock him down. The first time that little symptom comes, take authority over it right now. Hallelujah.